Good morning. Good morning. There's supposed to be some sound with that video, but I forgot to turn it back up after I was messing with it. So that's my fault. Anyways, uh, good morning. It is good to be here uh, this morning. We're going to get this out of the way from the very start. I am wearing my Bears jersey. It is the first Sunday of football, the regular season. It is what it is. You can pray for me if you need to. Um, actually, by the end of the season, I'll be asking for prayer. So we are, uh, we are starting a new sermon series uh, this week. And it's one, if you caught it last week, it's one that I said we will be in for quite a while. Uh, it's, we're going to be in Mark for the next nine months or so. Um, and we've been through books of the Bible now. We've been through two books of the Bible. Uh, we started with Nehemiah uh, earlier this year, and we, we spent uh, about two and a half months, almost three months, in Nehemiah. Uh, and then we went through the book of Titus together. And both times, uh, there was just good, good wisdom that came uh, from that. Both, uh, I thought, personally, in, in, in our own lives, uh, I heard stories, I heard people talking, they would, we would talk about, you know, what your personal reading and what came out, but also uh, as, a, as a group, as a congregation, as a body of believers, as we walked through these books together, uh, they were, it was so applicable of what scriptures were talking about and how that applied to us as a church. And so as I try to think about what was the next book we were going to go through? Um, the book of Mark just started to, to sit on my heart. Uh, and the reason I think it, it became clearer and clearer that this was our next book is because we just came out of this World Changer series where we talked about really discipleship, about being intentional with those people that God has placed in our lives and what we're called to do. And the book of Mark, one of the major themes of the book is discipleship. And more specifically, it's the, the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. And so we're going to look at that as one of the major themes of the book over the next uh, nine months. And also, there's a few others, but Mark is writing this book to a group of uh, most likely Roman Christians. So Christians in the city of Rome, uh, and he's writing about Jesus. He's writing about the stories of Jesus, about the life and ministry of Jesus. And so while discipleship and the cost of it uh, is one of the major themes, one of the other ones uh, that comes to mind is the divinity of Christ. One of Mark's goals as he's writing is to show the people reading this book that Jesus was man, but he was also God. The other one, uh, one of the third themes of the book is the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at what, those, what all three of these themes are uh, as we unpack the book of Mark. But you'll see it. And we'll, be, we'll begin to even uh, talk about that specifically, the, third, the, the first discipleship piece and the kingdom of heaven today in the first chapter. Uh, if, you, if you read through it, at least this first chapter, uh, you're going to see that Mark just jumps right in. And that's a characteristic of the book of Mark. It is a fast-paced, jumping from one thing to the next kind of book. Uh, if there were action movies uh, that the Bible was written after, Mark would be one of those. It is jam-packed with scene after scene, you know, quick cutscenes, things like that. That's the book of Mark. And so it's very important that from the beginning we, we learn what Mark is trying to establish because he does it in even the first very few words. So I don't know about you, but have you ever 
I know that this happens to me. Have you ever missed something that was right in front of your face? Like right in front of you, so close that you could reach out and grab for it. And you didn't realize until later that, man, it was right there. I could have had it. Maybe for you or for some of us, this was a job opportunity. Something that was just right there, and had we jumped in, we could have had that job. Maybe it's a, it was a business opportunity. Maybe there, it was a learning opportunity, or even friendships or relationships in our lives that uh, maybe sometimes we wish we would have, we would have had. What I'm saying is, is not a shoulda, coulda, woulda type of deal, but it, it's more of realizing the sovereignty of God. That God, in his goodness and in his timing, he allows us to jump into things. And if we're, if we're not prepared, if we're not ready for them, sometimes we miss them. Some, sometimes for good reason, and other times just because we miss it. And so what Mark does at the very beginning of this book is he sets out to write his gospel of Jesus to write this story of the good news of who Jesus is, he wants to make sure that those who read the book don't miss out on the saving power and the revelation of Jesus and what comes and what he comes to do for humanity. So this morning, we're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to look at just the first 13 verses. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark 1. We're going to start there. And his goal, again, remember, his goal with these opening verses is to help the audience both the audience of long ago and us today, to see Jesus as the Son of God, as the promised Messiah, and as the rightful King. This is the big idea for the morning. In order to see Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the King, we must ready ourselves first. And that's what Mark is going to talk about in these first opening verses. What does that look like? What does that even mean to ready ourselves? So let's jump in. This is Mark 1, verses 1 through 8 to start. It says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a cameled hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot there that Mark opens with. And it leads us to the, to the first point of the morning, which is we ready ourselves by having a repentant heart and mind. Again, Mark is setting the stage here in this opening chapter of, of who Jesus is and, and what that even means. And he starts with those very first words. 
He's reminding the people that the promised one is coming. This group of Christians would have known uh, to some degree that there was a Messiah that was promised and that he was to come at some point. Remember, they had been waiting for, for forever for this Messiah to come and make things right. And he says, I'm starting off this story, this, this message from the very beginning of who Jesus is. And I think it, there's, it's the beginning of the story of Jesus and his life and his ministry. It's a reminder for us as the readers that it's also, it starts with God. It's always started with God from the very beginning. God is the one who initiates redemption on behalf of humanity. And so we see Jesus come into the story from the very beginning is how Mark is starting it. But he wants to make sure that we know who this person is. He wants to make sure that we as the readers see who Jesus is in his truest form. It's the start of the revelation of Jesus as the Christ. The word Christ uh, is connected to the Hebrew word for Messiah. And so by, by Mark saying this is Jesus, the Messiah, from the very beginning he's setting the frame. He's setting the page for what is to come. He says, this is Jesus, the Christ. The gospel, the good news. This is the story of who Jesus is and how that impacts us. It's good news for you and I. And then he says, it's this, he's the son of God. He is the promised one who has been sent by the Father for you and I, for our good. In other words, what Mark is saying is, I'm going to start from the very beginning with some good news for you and me of who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the one, the true King that will sit on the throne. And then the remainder of verses from 2 to 13, he begins to, to support that idea of who he's saying Jesus is. Verses 2 through 13 are the beginnings of Jesus' public ministry. Mark is, is a unique gospel because it doesn't start with uh, a, uh, a lineage of who Jesus was. It doesn't start with the birth story of Jesus. It starts with his public ministry. And so Mark is starting from the very beginning saying, hey, this guy's important and you need to know who he is. In verses 2 and 3, we see that John is preaching and teaching this, this message of repentance, this message was one that had been preached all through the Old Testament, right? We see that if we go back and we look at the story of the Israelites, how God often has to call them to repentance because they're in sin. He does this through the patriarchs, and then he does it through the kingdom, and then does it through the prophets, and, and ultimately he does it through Christ. But it's a reflection of who God is and his characteristics and it's the, the goodness of God and the promise that he made so long ago to Moses and Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. And God makes promises and he spoke to, those, uh, spoke to the patriarchs about those promises. And then he moves away from that. And we have the prophets that come onto the scene. And if you remember what the role of the prophet was, it was to speak on behalf of God. When they were addressing the people in a formal setting, they were speaking on behalf of God. They were messengers of what God had to say. Their purpose was to communicate God's word to his people. 
Often that word was one of repent from sin. Both individually, uh, the prophets call people out, but then also as a group, collectively. One of Amy and I's favorite verses is Micah 6 8, and this, the backdrop for Micah 6 8 is this idea of a courtroom setting. This, uh, and really, what's going on is God is calling out his people to repent from their sin. And Mark, Mark knows that. And he reminds the reader of that with John. He points back to Malachi and, and the book of Malachi and the book of Isaiah where these prophets would have said that there was one who was coming that was going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's pointing to the promise of the heralding of the Messiah. That John was that person. Jesus himself, as John baptizes him in the wilderness, all of it, it, it connects back to the Old Testament and all the promises that God had made. The idea of the wilderness, this is a common theme in the book of Mark. Mark likes to connect back to the, the Exodus story. And so all throughout the book, we see Jesus going into the wilderness. We see other things happening in the wilderness. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But it's specific language to this book. But Mark is starting by going back to the prophets so he can remind the people of, hey, this is not a new message. This idea of repentance, of, of, readying, of readying our hearts and our minds for the Messiah, this isn't new. This is the same thing that we've been talking about for generations and generations that we've waited for and hoped for. But it leads us to the question of, are we attentive? Mark presents this to his people and says, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. Are you ready? Are you looking? Are you seeing? Are you listening? And verses 4 through 8 point that out. We see in verse 4, John is proclaiming this message of the Messiah coming. John is in the wilderness and the, the wilderness for the Israelites was often a place uh, of repentance where God would send them and, and there would be a repenting, a repentant heart that was stirred up in the wilderness and God would use that. One commentator says that uh, it's also a place where God brings deliverance for his people. First in the wilderness of Sinai following the Exodus and therefore in a symbolic wilderness of hope proclaimed by the prophets. Seeing and hearing Jesus begins with repentance. Seeing and hearing Jesus begins with repentance. And so as Mark starts this story, we have John calling out the people and saying, hey, ready yourself because the Messiah is here. He is coming. And one of those ways was through baptism. That same commentator says that uh, baptism uh, was a, a symbol of moral and spiritual regeneration. And John was calling people to that. To ready themselves for the coming of, of the Christ, of the Messiah. And scholars debate on this form of baptism that we see at the beginning of Mark, uh, most of them think that it comes from uh, pre-Christian Judaism and it was uh, similar to the ritual washing uh, of cleansing yourself. But it, it's a symbol. 
It was a way to ready oneself and say, okay, I'm, I'm here. I, I'm committed. I'm ready to, to listen. And in the same way, John was writing the people for the coming promised Messiah by repenting of their sin. And he was using that symbol of baptism, of, of, of dying to your old self under the waters and coming up brand new. And, and as a Quaker, there's nothing magical happening here. It's not like special water that was going on. It was an outward sign, something that people could see and touch and grab of an inward change that was going on. John points to the idea of the inward change occurring when he says that there's, I baptize you in water, but there's going to be one who baptizes you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about, that inner change that happens. They were readying themselves for who was to come. Let's pick up in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and the angels were serving him. How do we see and know Jesus as the Son of God, as the promised Messiah, as the rightful King? We ready ourselves, and then we trust. We trust that Jesus is perfectly equipped by God to defeat sin and Satan. Well, how do we know that he's perfectly equipped? Well, Mark tells us. We see that he's perfectly equipped, and we see that in, in who Jesus is, in his identity. Prophecy told that the, the one, the coming Messiah, would be born out of Nazareth. And so by Mark including that in the description in verse 9, he's telling us, hey, this is the guy. Prophecy told that there would be someone who would come before the Messiah and who would proclaim his, his coming and would make a way for him. Jesus submitting to John in baptism was a marker of that. Mark is pointing to all of the identify, identifying points of Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He was perfect. He was sinless. But he was doing it as a symbol. Something that others could see and touch and feel. He was readying himself to start his ministry the mission that he was sent by the Father to do. He knows what's to come. I'm sure that leading up to that, it was, it was sitting on him and he could feel it. 
But Jesus, through the baptism, prepares his heart and his mind for the mission he was set out to complete. Jesus was making that connection back to the prophets and fulfilling the prophecies and and also giving credibility to who John was and what his ministry was. Baptism, whether it's physical or otherwise, it's a symbol of surrender. Jesus is declaring to the Father through baptism, I am ready to start this. In both physical baptism and spiritual baptism, it's an outward declaration uh, of our faith saying, I'm ready for what may come. But both forms of it are a surrender to God. We see Jesus submitting to the Father when John baptizes him and brings him back up. There's an accountability aspect there. One of the beautiful things about physical baptism, I grew up in a church where we did physical baptism, uh, and it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't this thing that we did in secret. It wasn't this thing that uh, only family were at. It was a party. We had music playing. We had people uh, gathered around the baptismal that were ready to, to, to welcome that person into the family of God. Through that celebration. Again, just a symbol. But there was that accountability there. To see that person be baptized and then say, okay, you're signing up for the team. We're going to keep you accountable. We're going to walk alongside you. Jesus is doing that a little bit here. Others are seeing him take this step of faith and saying, okay, I'm ready. They don't know what it means yet but they will. If we're following Jesus, do others know it? Can others see it? Does our life reflect it? We just spent four or five weeks talking about that with the the World Changers series. But we see Mark identify Jesus as the Christ and so we can trust that he can defeat sin and death and Satan. Next we see Mark... uh, We can trust that Jesus is who he is because Mark authenticates that. In his writing, he says, this is the Son of God. We see the heavens open up and God the Father speaks. And he says, this is my Son who who I'm pleased with. Do you know the interesting thing about that part of, of the scripture where, where the heavens open up and God speaks, it only happens one other time in the book of Mark. It's during the transfiguration when the inner three disciples get to see who Jesus truly is in his, in his full form up on the mountain. It's the only other time that God speaks in this way. And what's happening here is God the Father is declaring and giving credibility to who Jesus is. He's authenticating who Jesus is. 
In the Greek, uh, it, it translates, it's a hard translation, but it translates, uh, the heavens were torn open. They were torn open. There was some passion behind seeing Jesus take this step of faith. There's only one other time where the heavens are torn, or where there's a tearing like that that's similar. It's when the veil is torn in the temple when Jesus is crucified. When Jesus takes up all of our sin and he sets it on himself as he's dying on the cross for you and me, and the tor- when, it, when that happens, when that process is completed, the, the veil falls from the temple, sim- symbolizing that there is no longer a, a barrier between us and the Father, that we have access to him, that's when that happens again. One theologian says this about this, this picture. Both renderings, first the, at his baptism and the last at his crucifixion, are supernatural occurrence revealing Jesus as the Son of God. Mark's strategically employed, employment of this word indicates, he's talking about the, the idea of being torn open, indicates that the confession of Jesus as the Son of God does not arise from human resources, but solely from divine revelation and empowerment. Again, Mark is setting the stage for who Jesus is. From the very beginning, he's saying he is the Son of God. The second person in the Trinity, the full, uh, the God-man that is fully man and fully God. This is my Son, is what, G- what the Father says. What's interesting about God speaking here. There had been radio silence from the prophets up until this point. A couple hundred years worth. And the first time we hear Mark, or God speak in the book of Mark, he's telling the world, this is my son. This is the one that I've sent to make all things right. At the start of Jesus' ministry, we have all three of the persons of the Trinity present. We'll see that again at the end of, of at the crucifixion. This scene helps us as the reader know and see who Jesus is. R. T. Francis, he he he's got a really good, really deep, really hard to read commentary on this on the book of Mark. And he says that is this idea, this picture here is, is threefold. You've got the opening up of the heavens. There's a supernatural truth declared about Jesus. Then he's marked by the Holy Spirit as the anointed one to bring that good news. And then we see God the Father confirm the divine presence and his power in his mission that he sent to take out, take on. So Mark authenticates who Jesus is And then we can trust who Jesus is because we see him deal with temptation. We see that he too walks through this desert that you and I often are in. This wilderness of of hard things. Jesus knows what that's like. 
Verse 12 says that the, the Spirit, it, it drove him out into the wilderness. The Greek uh, reads it a little bit differently, and it's a little bit harsher. It says that he was expelled out into the wilderness. There was something that needed to take place, and it was of urgency, and it was heavy, and it was hard, and the Holy Spirit takes him out there into the wilderness so that he can wrestle through this thing. Remember, the wilderness means something. It was a place where God challenged his people. It's a place where God would allow for his people to wrestle through, what are you, what are you calling me to? What does this mean for our lives? There was a molding that took place in the wilderness for his people. And that's where God goes. That's where Jesus goes. The very start of his ministry. And, and what's going on here is Mark is a little bit setting up this contrast of God the man and God and Jesus the, the God wrestling through this, this balancing act of those two roles. And we see that because we know that Jesus in the wilderness, he struggles. He like he's dealing with, with these temptations head on and they're hard and they're exhausting. And, and at the same time, the divine part of him is with him. And the heavens are with him. We know that because it says that the angels, they cared for him and they attended to him. And Jesus is going to hold this the rest of his ministry. This idea of him being fully man and fully God. We know that Jesus as God would not fall into, into temptation. It's why he can take our sin and, and hold it for us and, and, and make it right in, in the sight of God. He was guarded and protected by the angels and the Holy Spirit when he was in the wilderness. But it's a reality that he has to, to carry and hold for the rest of his ministry on earth is this idea of being fully God and fully man. We're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Mark that he echoes these stories of the Exodus, these themes of the Exodus, the wilderness, deliverance, I mean, the whole role of Jesus is to deliver God's people. It wasn't just the Jews. It was all of humanity now. The time in the wilderness it was in preparation for that deliverance that was to come. Mark is connecting the work that God does in his people when we walk through the desert, when we walk through that wilderness. From the onset, Mark is helping us rightfully see who Jesus is. He's framing it in its opening lines of the book. He's setting the stage for what's to come. The, the amazing work that only Jesus could do because he is the Son of God, because he is the Messiah, and because he is the rightful King. We see John the Baptist live out his mission and purpose as the one who was to come before the Messiah, declaring that he was coming. But John reminds us that there's a posture that needs to happen, both physically and spiritually, that has to do with repentance. 
You and I have to be in the right place if we're going to see Jesus for who he is. We see all of the heavens declare that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. As Jesus is baptized, the Father speaks out of joy for what his Son is doing. And the Holy Spirit is present, descends on Jesus, anointing him and the start of his earthly ministry. As readers, both now and then, we can see how Mark works to frame from the start who Jesus is and why that's so important. The way we see and know Jesus has implications not just for this life, but for the next. Not just for today, but for the promise tomorrow that we read about in Scriptures. Mark reminds us that in order to see Jesus as the Son of God, we must ready ourselves. And we talked about this idea a little bit last week in the final sermon of the World Changer series, but we can't wait. There needs to be an urgency to getting ourselves and others around us ready for Jesus. One of the major themes that I mentioned at the beginning of the book is this idea of the kingdom of heaven. And this this is the event where Mark is reflecting on that. As Jesus starts his earthly ministry, Jesus is ushering in this kingdom. Thomas Schreiner calls this uh, the already but not yet kingdom. Because Jesus has started that process of ushering it in, but it's not done yet. It won't be done until he returns. And so you and I, the clock is ticking. And that urgency should be on our hearts because we need people to know Jesus. We need to know and see Jesus. It's the already but not yet kingdom. We're getting closer and closer to his return. But we need to make sure that we have ready ourselves to know and see truly who Jesus is.